With stun gun, sword, and savage vengeance, he sought justice in a frozen realm. Today on Dumpster Book Club, we're talking about Winterworld. I'm Sean. And I'm Mimi. And this book is... Well, y'all read Dune? (laughs) This one has a pretty glorious cover. The cover looks almost good. I think that's what makes it so glorious. The composition itself is pretty good. It's good lighting and good color. It's a little cheesy sci-fi. It's like a it's a guy standing on an icy mountain with a funny laser gun. Full snow gear, a great cloak. But then it's all comically ruined by the eyes of this human being way too big for <laughs> its face. And completely yellow, bulging eyeballs. Yeah. A bulbous is a word I would use to describe these eyeballs. I think the reason this cover looks so good, the art was actually done by Tim Hildebrandt, who... It's actually on the cover. You can yeah, see his name faintly. Yeah, he signed it. And he and his brother are famous for doing a lot of Tolkien art. Um, They've done a lot of fantasy covers. And they actually did one of the first Star Wars posters, the Type B, which it's one of the ones with Luke holding up the lightsaber and Leia in front of him. And And everyone's uh, different orifices have the correct proportions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The rest of their work looks great, so I don't know what happened to these eyeballs. (laughs) Maybe some art direction from C.J. Mills. (laughs) It's great, but I really wrote the eyeballs different in the book. (laughs) They are described as golden in the book, but I thought that was like the iris, not the entire eyeball. Maybe he kept doing the painting and he kept getting the feedback where I can't tell that the eyes are gold. It's really important that the eyes are gold. So he just got mad and made them really like just zoom on Photoshop <laughs> and place them on the eyes. This is a book that we see all the time. We ended up with two copies of it and I've seen it at a bunch of different bookstores. And I wonder if um, like maybe the publisher thought this was going to be like, a really big thing because they, I mean, they got this amazing cover artist. It was like just a Dune clone. And yeah, uh, and the, the quotes on the back really emphasize how bold a universe that CJ Mills has created. So I wonder if they just kind of like printed a ton of these and now they're just showing up at all these used bookstores because people aren't holding on to them. I don't know. Yeah, it has a pretty small internet presence, though, so clearly didn't make much of a mark. I tried to research C.J. Mills, and she's incredibly mysterious. Ooh. There is a photo of her in the back of the book, and she looks exactly like Barb from Stranger Things. (laughs) 
including the ridiculous ruffled neck shirt and the same dorky glasses. Um, so she would be cool now. <laughs> she just looks like she's cosplaying as Barb. I believe her name is Carla Johnson Mills. The about the author from the book is two sentences long, and we learn that one, she's from Minnesota, and two, she wrote this book. <laughs> yeah, the about the author is more about this book than about <laughs> the author. Uh, but that's already more information than is available on the internet. So this is her first book. It kind of seemed like a first book. Yeah. A little bit of like awkward writing. Then the next books that she wrote are all Winterworld books. There's five in the series, and they're all, like, focusing on the other characters. That's good. I I think that's a good decision. I would be disappointed if it kept focusing on this character. The only other thing I could find that I think that she wrote was under Carla J. Mills, which I think was an 1800s historical Western romance that takes place in the the frontier of Wyoming. Mm, not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> uh, her Goodreads page incorrectly attributes a bunch of stuff to her um, as a narrator on an audiobook series called Club Sin, which seems to be like... Sounds like something I want to read. It's a it's like a bondage series. <laughs> All the, the names of every book is like a different verb. It's okay. There's no... It's not real, Ash. So you have tamed, commanded, things like that. Oh, I don't know about that. But I, I found the audiobooks, and they're, they're just narrated by some guy with the same initials. So it's not the same C.J. Mills. And then I tried reverse image searching her photo from the back of the book. <laughs> Did she just get Barb? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I couldn't find it anywhere on the internet either. And then... Um, but what did turn up was a 10-year cold case murder, but it was a different C.J. Oh, Mills. okay. So, I don't know. Maybe, Maybe she... she killed C.J. Mills <laughs> and assumed their identity. Maybe she disappeared into the upside down. Wow. Fun. <laughs> this is our holiday episode, holiday special. So we're bundled up here in the studio. Pretty cold. <laughs> Got a kitty on my lap. Are you ready to get into Winter World? So Winter World is about Karn Hallorek, who is the last surviving male heir of House Hallorek. And he was sent away from his home planet of Starker 4 because he was the worst kid. <laughs> Meaning, he didn't really like fighting or killing. He was weak and small. Basically a woman. (laughs) Yeah, and his father or his sire decided, I don't want this kid to even be considered to take over the throne (laughs) here. So he's sent away to learn the skills of negotiation Yeah, it seems like the rest of the galaxy is normal, (laughs) and he just went to go be a cop, which (laughs) explains some of his frustrations throughout this book of people breaking the law. (laughs) 
the last ruler of his house was assassinated. So he has to return to Starker for to take over as was a regent, what do they call them? King. The Lar. Yeah, Lar. L H A R R. Because leadership cannot fall to a woman. Yes, so his mother, the the Larga of the house, <laughs> is barred from from taking from taking over. Yes, and most of his struggles throughout this book are born of the fact that his own father told, I guess, the rest of the world that his son is basically a woman and he's sending him away. <laughs> so everyone knows specifically that he's basically a woman and he should not rule because it'd be the same as a woman ruling. <laughs> yep. No one doesn't know this on this world. <laughs> all his enemies, all their vassals, everyone knows. At the beginning of his journey, he meets Nicholas von Schuss, who is an heir to the von Schuss-larship. I'm going to guess that they call it a larship. <laughs> Which is a less powerful house, but really the last ally to House Hollerack. Yeah, they're... The only one that stays true to him throughout the book. Yes, and they build a friend. They build a pretty quick friendship, but I kind of expected that to be the book was them building the friendship, and then it kept going, <laughs> uh, and he got newer, better friends. So instead of having this best friend, he gets a new, better best friend named Eagle Olafson or Eggle. Well. Eagle and him, like, go way back, right? Yeah. They're, they're blood brothers. <coughs> Ash! Be quiet. <laughs> I thought it was going to be him reconnecting to his ancestry and the way he is by making friends with this Von Schuss guy. But instead, it's more about him keeping his distance from his culture and their ways by staying friends with Eagle and introducing all these new ideas. Eagle is um, an off-worlder. Is he, is his family part of like the merchant? Yeah, his family is a super powerful merchants. Who are sort of like a neutral force in the galaxy Mm -hmm. um, that control all space trade, but kind of... try to stay out of house politics or just try to keep people from... Sounds familiar to another book. Another (laughs) guild that controlled all of space travel and trade. Okay, but in this book, guild is spelled G-I-L-D, like covered Mm. in gold, which kind of reminds me of when you write Microsoft with a dollar sign for the S. (laughs) Eagle is also his whole background seems to be really based on Norse mythology. He's like, he's like seven foot tall and he's got flowing blonde hair and his father is named Odin. And anytime he curses or exclaims something, it's like Heimdall this or whatever. Um, he's built like a, a Zin bear. <laughs> yeah. Karn spends a lot of time describing Eagle's body, and there's a lot of suggestion at a deeper relationship between the two. There's lots of man love. (laughs) 
There's a quote. Eagle Olafsson had been closer to him than anyone, and Eagle's sire, Odin Olafsson, had treated Karn as if he were one of the Olafsson boys and had shown him that powerful love can exist between a man and his sons without damaging their manhood. (laughs) Then there are nine powerful houses, right? Or Yeah, there's... There's the nine main houses, and then each house has vassal houses. There's houses like Atreides, Harkonnen. <laughs> we don't learn much about the other houses, so there's not too much to say about them. But, but it's basically Dune. The, Imagine Dune. <laughs> their main opponents are House Harlan. I think it was a mistake having the two main competing houses both start with H. Yeah. With L's and R's in them. Like Both too close to House Harkonnen, too. <laughs> uh, so I got a little bit confused throughout the book of and had to remind myself, <laughs> like, wait a second, which house is which? Um, but yeah, so Harlan, they're the bad guys breaking all the laws and they've not only do they not follow the laws of the council they've basically they've maneuvered themselves to take away a lot of Halorek's allies so Halorek really only has von schuss as an ally whereas they have kind of control of the rest of the houses right and separate from the houses are the free men not fremen not fremen they're free men the free men who have basically the same role as the Fremen. No, no, no. They were... Wait, the Freemen are the guild people, aren't they? No. Oh, okay. The guild is separate. Okay. Guild only operates in space. You could say they could only live in space, possibly. Hmm. No, the Freemen are normal people who are not vassals to any of these houses who are just trying to survive on this hellish fighting winter world. Right. Not Fremen, though. No. But basically the same role. And then there are Larga Halarek and Catherine Halarek, who are Karn's mother and sister. And they don't really matter because they're women. (laughs) Well. (laughs) Larga does some stuff. Catherine. Catherine doesn't matter. She's there for. No. She could have mattered. She almost mattered uh, a few times. It seems like if uh, CJ Mills had done another draft, she might have mattered. Well, she gets her own book. Oh, that's great. And I'm sure she matters in that. That's probably just a way better book. (laughs) Um, Eagle also gets his own book. Uh, That's probably not a very good book. The book starts basically mid-assassination attempt, right? I think it starts right after the assassination assassination attempt. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the assassination attempt is the prologue. House Harlan manages to wipe out the Lar, every other surviving son, all in one go. But Karn manages to escape the assassination attempt. Yes. And an important part of the assassination attempt is Harlan tried to assassinate Karn while he was on a guild ship, which is a... That's very illegal. It's so illegal. The guild does not want this kind of thing, these kind of (laughs) shenanigans going on. 
It is a neat little bit showing just how little all of the events of this book and on Starker for matter, how the fact that a little bit of fighting on a guild ship can pretty much end the world and their contact with the rest of the galaxy. Right. The guild does not care about your problems. Just don't do it on their ships. <laughs> then he is out and he's being transported to a council meeting by Nicholas von Schuess. Mm-hmm. They a, travel in their flitter. Yeah, he's a flitter pilot. While they're traveling to this big meeting of all the houses, some unmarked flitters shoot them down, which is illegal. Totally it's, illegal. You cannot fly an unmarked flitter. <laughs> and you cannot shoot down a flitter in this area. It's okay to shoot down other flitters with a flitter. But you have to clearly mark who you are, and there's specific places where you're allowed to shoot down flitters. Which causes Karn and Nicholas to have to travel on foot to this meeting in the snow trying to avoid these other guys trying to kill them, who are obviously Harlan. Right. I thought this book was going to go a different direction. So did I. Uh, I thought that this would be where Karn is stripped of power from... You know, his house and planet and have to survive in the elements. And, yeah, with the freemen. <laughs> yeah, and lead an army of freemen to, to take back his power and finally confront the council. But instead, we get directly to the, the confrontation with the council. Yeah, so I thought the whole book would be the journey from this crash site to the council. And Karn and Nicholas would build a relationship and have some fun combats with some Harlan guys, and the book would end with them reaching the council with this proof that Harlan tried to assassinate him on a guild ship, and that would end the book. Yeah. But that is the story of the book. <laughs> they just do some other stuff in the middle, and then again, he gets lost <laughs> in the snow and travels in the snow with his buddies, and they go to the council meeting and show them the guild photos to prove that there was an assassination it, attempt. Yeah, it takes away a little from the climax of the book since we're getting it now. <laughs> and then we'll do this all again later. But, okay, so they confront the council. They accuse Harlan of doing this assassination attempt. Because it seemed like Harlan was going to get away with this if he had successfully killed Karn as well. Because then there would have been no witnesses. Yeah, the system of proving things is a little strange on this world. <laughs> Council says, okay, we're going to, what, meet again later at the end of the book. Yes. We'll come back to this. And until then, Karn is not able to become the Lar because he's not 18. He's almost 18. Mm -hmm. So his, his mother is going to be the regent until then. And Harlan House is placed under trusteeship for the duration of this investigation. Yeah. Riveting. <laughs> I was glued to the book during this part. Um, At the same time, part of the reason why their flitter was shot down and why they couldn't get any help from the rest of House Halorak is because Harlan was attacking his castle and putting it under siege, which is allowed. You are allowed to attack people and put them under siege, but you have to warn them first. And Harlan did not warn House Halarek, so it is an illegal siege. 
Wait, the siege is later, right? No, there's another illegal oh, siege. Okay, they okay, do okay. the whole thing again. Okay, okay, right. You have to give the required notice period, and that is so that all the neutrals can remove themselves from the siege before it begins. It, it seems kind of like the free men are just trying to have a normal society, and then they have these crazy houses just have to fight all the times, <laughs> and they just make all these dumb laws for them to follow so they can go on with their lives. But that is the reason why House Harlan gets in trouble and is put under a trusteeship, is because of the illegal siege, not because of the guild assassination, because they haven't proved it yet. Oh. And they have to wait for the guild investigation to happen at the end of the book. All right. So then Karn goes back to his house. (laughs) Uh, It's like, it's a giant stone castle. It's completely sealed because winter on Winterworld is so crazy, you'll die if you go outside, which it is now winter um, and will be winter until the book ends <laughs> when it will not be winter anymore. Karn has all these powerful enemies. He has no experience with leadership. Everyone knows that his father thought he was like a woman. <laughs> <laughs> And he just has one problem after another. The first big problem, I think, is a slave revolt on some farms. So the uh, society of the houses is they have slaves who work underground farms that then give them food. And oftentimes these slaves revolt, just a normal part of being a house, and honor dictates that you go and just kill them all. (laughs) It's tradition. But it is dishonorable for Karn to lead that adventure himself because slaves are so much lower than the Lar. So he has to send one of his generals that he doesn't necessarily trust because the general thinks he's kind of like a woman. (laughs) And big surprise, the general does not follow orders and decides to do his own plan, which is to do nothing. Yes. So then Karn has to go anyway. He executes his general and then goes down and frees all the slaves instead of killing all of them. It seemed like he freed the leader of the revolts and then turns the leader into the new slave master. It kind of seemed like that. It kind of seemed like only one guy got freed. (laughs) But it turned out that the reason they were revolting is that the slave master, the farm owner, was basically starving the slaves, keeping everything. Yeah, he was eating their food rations or something. (laughs) And this was because of a recommendation from a Harlan operative who planted this idea for the, the farm yes, owner. Yes, there's a, there's a secret Harlan operative in his house doing things like this. <laughs> but because Karn frees that slave and does not slaughter all of them, he has lost honor. He negotiated with them. Yes, which is not illegal. It's just dishonorable, so why would you do it? Not only is he like a woman, but now he negotiates. This guy just gets worse and worse. (laughs) But he's like trying to point out like he resolved this issue in record time. (laughs) Nobody died. And like, well, except for the general he executed and like all this other stuff. Listen, Karn, no one likes a nerd. (laughs) 
But he was kind of in a tough situation because if he'd executed all the slaves and the farm wouldn't still run and they weren't going to make it through the winter because there wouldn't be enough food for their castle. But is that just what other people do when their slaves revolt? So I guess we'll go without food for a couple months. Honor dictates. <laughs> um, so then the next problem is some of the, the vassals the minor houses under his house decide they're not going to pledge allegiance and they don't come to his party. And the honorable solution to this is to murder all of them. Yes, to send an army out to their minor houses and kill everyone. But shitty dingus (laughs) corn. (laughs) Well, it's, again, the middle of winter. He's got bigger problems. If he sent out an army, they would probably all die due to the elements. Talk, 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 Karn. Just big nerd. (laughs) So, instead, he works out a deal with the guild to loan a bunch of money, buy all their fuel supply from the minor houses and hoard it so that they don't have the fuel to run their life support systems, which gives them about a week to survive before they all die and gives them the ultimatum that they need to pledge allegiance and send all of their heirs to the minor house to be hostages. Yeah. Sounds brutal enough to me, but still dishonorable. (laughs) The minor houses do an insult where one of them has his wife negotiate the terms with Karn, and women do not negotiate with men. (laughs) Well, it seems like you're not supposed to negotiate at all. (laughs) There's a pretty funny quote, which was, only women use words instead of weapons. (laughs) Uh, It's a lot of W's in there. Yeah. So that's like a, you know, a thing to remember it. <laughs> remember, women use words instead of weapons. <laughs> Men use machine guns instead of mouths. <laughs> this plan works really well because it takes the vassals completely by surprise because they never thought someone would do something so dishonorable as to cut off their fuel supplies. It seems to me like Karn could do that to House Harlan. Hmm. Maybe he's not rich enough. I don't know. Yeah, I think doing this maneuver cost him a lot, and his house is already under strain. Mm -hmm. So The next big problem is that he has a little pet named Wiki, who's like a cat. Little fluff ball. It is described as the best children's pet, where it is like a cat, but so fluffy you cannot find its meat. <laughs> it's just too fluffy. Uh, and it is very calm and just lays on you like a blanket. Oh. <laughs> it's very cute. But then it turns up tortured and mutilated. Which convinces Karn that Richard is in the castle with him. Well, or one of his agents. Yes, that's what a normal person would assume, but Karn specifically is sure Richard himself. (laughs) Oh, I don't know if we expect... Richard is the leader of House Harlan, who particularly dislikes Karn. Um... Well, and Karn becomes a little bit paranoid because enemies could be anywhere and he doesn't know who to trust... So then he has a great idea to get a bunch of people together and go play laser tag. 
And what do you know, one of the lasers is set to kill. Uh, then he spends a month in recovery, and it's like a, a fake out where he thinks it's one of his friends, but turns out it was just a guy that he demoted. Just another guy. Um, there's a funny part in this scene. There's a lot of funny parts <laughs> where all these women keep coming in to look at him. Well, he's like tied to a frame so he doesn't wreck his back. Yeah, and he keeps getting mad that of their they're of low birth. The other funny part is he realizes that it hurts to get shot. <laughs> and getting shot is bad. So after his recovery, Richard Harlan declares siege against the house. And he gives his 40-day notice, but because it's the middle of winter, there's not enough time to move anyone out of the house, but the law is the law, so they have 40 days to plan. But Harlan breaks the law by showing up early. To cut the calm lines. Yes, which is illegal. You can't be early to siege, you can't cut the calm lines. That's illegal. So illegal. But... Karn has come up with another one of his dishonorable plans where he set up a small fighting force on the outside of his castle and attacks Harlan from behind after they siege his castle. It seemed like this should have worked better than it did. It seems like he thought Harlan would have a smaller force Mm. or he just wasn't very good. I don't know. Oh, it was because they were early. He didn't expect Harlan to break the law again. And Von Schuess was supposed to come help. And they were late because Von Schuess could only come help at the day of the siege or something because they weren't going to break the law. Right. And we get like a chapter or two of these like guerrilla snow tactics. And... They did all right, I guess. It was hard to tell who was winning this battle. Because you kept mixing up the names. <laughs> no, just like, you know, I, you don't know how many people they actually had. You don't know how many people they're really, like, killing. And then, then they start sending the flitters over, shooting people from there. <laughs> and, but then they're dealing with the elements as well. Um, and... Oh, there was a part that I liked where they had a a good trick where they set up a fake campsite that they put all their garbage at and, like, a bunch of tracks. And it didn't really matter, but... No, it didn't uh, come up at all, actually. (laughs) But they spent a lot of time planning it. (laughs) Because they failed, they decide then to travel in the snow on foot to a special prison zone. Which, it's extra illegal to cut the calm lines at the prison zone. Mm. So, it wouldn't be cut. For some reason, Eagle was just not doing so good. And, like, his hands were constantly at risk of frostbite. There were a lot of intimate moments that he shared with Karn where they hold hands (laughs) to keep them warm. Where they finally make it to the location they were trying to get to. and And the comms don't work. What do you know? <laughs> Someone cut the comm lines. So, Karn is going to go 
on one last attempt, but Eagle has to stay behind because his hands don't work. And there's an emotional scene where Eagle's going to sacrifice himself to, like, operate the gun, give cover fire so Karn can make it to the next checkpoint. And Karn has one more guy stay behind with Eagle. And that guy is just like, uh, I don't really want to stay here and do that. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of ruined, like... The moment is also a little bit ruined because Eagle's hands are destroyed that he operates the guns with his nose and mouth, <laughs> which is only comical. Um, so Karn goes out and is immediately arrested by the council. Which is, I thought it was such a great twist that he gets arrested <laughs> because Karn is the only person obeying the law on this planet. How could he do something illegal? But apparently he was under a special kind of arrest, which is good. He was under the good kind of arrest. A protective arrest. Yes. You you actually obeyed the law so much that we're arresting you and taking you to a good place. Good well, prison. No one tells him that. He's like locked in solitary confinement and he's all depressed because he thinks that that the law doesn't mean anything anymore. <laughs> it's almost as if the laws don't matter. And uh but then it's a twist, and his, his mom shows up and like, oh, what, no one told you this was a protective arrest? And then they have this, the council meeting again. The final council meeting. Uh, everyone is corrupt. Harlan has corrupted everyone except for Halorek and Von Schuess. Yeah, and Karn is trying to give an impassioned speech to the council, but it was a little not clear how many votes that harlan had really corrupted and who he was really trying to convince here mm -hmm. but it, yeah it seemed like all of harlan's allies like it wasn't gonna matter how impassioned of a speech karn gave because they were just gonna vote with harlan you'd think he would learn ever however the guild breaks through because harlan had been holding them back and reveal proof that Richard had tried to kill Karn in a guild ship, which is the ultimate illegal because it could cut off the planet from guild spaceships. But the, even that's not like really enough to convince people because they're all corrupt. And then Richard throws a knife <laughs> at Karn. But his mom pushes him out of the way, and she takes the knife and dies immediately. Which is so illegal. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot kill people in the council room. That's illegal. But it seemed like even that wasn't going to be enough. So then finally, all the free men vote, and they take over. They take over. The houses no longer have power in the council, and Richard goes to jail. But what frustrates me about this is... There's a line where the free men say, hey, while you were doing all this knife throwing, we were voting and we have 59%, which if everyone knows the free men have 59% of the council, why are they trying to influence the houses and not the free men? <laughs> the, the council rules were a little confusing. They weren't well explained. <laughs> it's so dumb. And then the book ends very abruptly. Karn is talking about how he's sad that his mom died, and then Richard gets called off to jail, and then the end. <laughs> yeah, we don't ever find out what happened to Egil's hands. Did someone save him? No, there's a line. Uh, <laughs> there's a line where 
Karn asks the council leader before. Oh yeah, they, they they ask them to go save him, but we don't f- like find out. Like, did they save him? Did they get medical attention to his hands before he has to lose them? No. In the after the guild breaks in, he convinces the guild to go look for him, and then the council guy says, "Oh no, he's dead." What? Yeah. How can he be dead? He has his own book. I know. Oh, do you think it's a prequel? Well, we don't find out if that guy was lying or not. Oh. That he was dead. But the book ends before anyone checks. And Karn thinks he's dead. But there's no, there's just one sentence. Right. And if you missed that sentence. Yes, I did. (laughs) 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 But that's, there's so much left undone in this book that is set up. Which is why it feels so much like a first draft. Like Eagle's death. There was a romance between Nicholas Von Schuss and Catherine that was happening in the background. And Catherine is even at the council. So she's not seen in the last four or five chapters of the book. Nicholas himself kind of takes a sideline when Eagle comes in. And just seems kind of sloppy that he's, like, building this friendship with this one guy who then disappears when this other friend comes in. Right. And there was a lot of stuff about how great of a sword fighter Richard was. And Karn was practicing his sword moves with those robots. So it seemed to me like they should have a sword fight at the end instead of him just getting arrested. Kind of like in Dune. Yeah. When they have the sword fight. (laughs) Yeah. Front of the council. Everything else. (laughs) Um, There's a horse that he loves that he practices fighting on horseback. There's the traitor guy in the the castle who had a whole story that wasn't really followed through with. It seems to me like there was a page limit or something just because of the way the book so suddenly ends and doesn't wrap up or anything there's not an epilogue or anything yeah she left a lot of room for sequels yes but it wasn't presented (laughs) in a way like oh hey there's a sequel possibly about this yeah another thing that was set up with no payoff all the man love (laughs) hopefully in the prequel (laughs) or any of uh, you know karn's romances with women we're not also followed through with. Right. One of the sequels, I looked a little bit at some of the summaries. One of them is a book about Karn's future wife. We didn't really talk mm. about it, but they have a tradition of sending ships to other planets to steal women because there's a shortage of women on their planet. And he steals a wife <laughs> and in a, in a sequel. Oh, God. And she's very strong-willed, apparently. So, Of course. I thought he was just going to marry his sister. <laughs> if you're going with Dune. Uh, yeah. Well. So, if you haven't read Dune, this book really rips off Dune. <laughs> uh, yes. So, oh, my goodness. It's, it's everything. But it's, it's like- done so much worse. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of things are just like, okay, so there's the houses and that whole setup. There's the free men that are not Fremen. They're free men. There's this ice planet instead, instead of, of desert of, planet. Yeah, 
Uh, you have the guild instead of the guild. It starts right away with an assassination, and Karn is the only survivor, like Paul survives. Mm. Um, a true Halorek has the gold-colored eyes. Their castle has a secret plant room, <laughs> just like the secret plant room in Dune. But there are some things missing that Dune had that this book doesn't have, like mm-hmm. a motivation for the bad guys. <laughs> like, Dune had a very clear strategic importance. But Starker 4... It's the opposite. Who cares about Starker <laughs> 4? There's no resources. There's no strategic significance. It's referred to as a, a backwater planet. It's like newly trying to integrate with mm-hmm. the rest of the galaxy and space trade and all that. And that's something Karn brings up where he, he's like really afraid that the guild will cut them off and they'll fall back into their barbaric traditions and talks about how terrible the culture is on <laughs> Starker 4. But um, yeah, I'm pretty sure the motivation for Harlan and why they hate Halorek so much is that the lore of Halorek stole Harlan's girlfriend. Many generations ago. Right. And that's that's it. <laughs> I would also say this book is missing what made Dune so great in its exploration of, of fascism, war, empire, and ecology. Dune's really far-reaching and really applicable to real life. And pretty great, I think. Also missing all the weird sex stuff <laughs> from Dune. <laughs> yeah. And actual political intrigue. Right. Something else that I really like from Dune is the litany against fear. It seemed like a really cool concept and is kind of used throughout the book. And Winterworld has its own litany. <laughs> Pray for us, Karn added as he went out the door, repeating silently to himself, We're not going to die. None of us are going to die. He said the words over and over to himself, (laughs) like a litany. (laughs) That's like the Rogue One Jedi thing. Yeah. What did he keep saying? I'm one with the force, yeah, the force is with me. And just, just, instead of having any actual speech about the force, it just repeats the same thing over and over again. Yeah. I had some other thoughts about this book. One was that I think it might have... I think it might have been set up a little bit to, like, satirize these rigid gender roles... Um, because some of it was so over the top when it's like only women use words and only men use weapons. And then Karn is kind of like trying to fight against these rigid traditions and then to show how ridiculous they are by coming up with simple solutions to things like, well, let's just cut off the fuel, I guess. And Right. They really beat you over the head with the women thing, which made me think that that was going to have some sort of importance in the story, but it didn't. Yeah, it was set up and then didn't, like, it could have been more effective and Karn could have done more (laughs) to subvert those and, like, I don't know. You know what would have made sense is if Karn were a woman (laughs) instead of just like a woman. Yeah. 
I mean, what? how much would you really have to change in the book? Why not just Karn's a woman? <laughs> uh, and I, he could have also been subverting their traditions in other ways, which, you know, he complains about them being so barbaric and, like, backwards because he's been off-world. He's been meeting other people and negotiating with other planets and races and stuff like that. Um, so, and I thought that the slave revolt would have been a good opportunity for that. Like to say, you know what? Slavery is bad and let's get rid of it. And (laughs) I'm in charge now. So we're going to do that and kind of go a little farther instead of just like promoting one of the slaves to be the new slave master. (laughs) No, really it's the opposite, isn't it? Where he comes in with a bunch of grand ideas and then slowly he's converted back to his barbarian self yeah like by the end of it it's it kind of feels like this planet like beat him rather Mm -hmm. than him accomplishing something triumphing also he was trained as a negotiator and like he had some interesting tactics but it didn't feel like those were really developed i don't know the whole him living off planet and going to school wasn't fully realized so this is a little nitpicky but i do think it's important the way you start a book yeah that's something people look at too it's the first thing you look at when you start reading a book (laughs) so i don't think the the first sentence has to be the best thing you wrote but it should be good i think the first sentence and the last sentence of your book should probably you know, make you feel something, maybe a thesis, or just... They should really bookend the book. Yeah, draw you in or something. So, I want to read the first paragraph of this book, the very beginning. The shuttle dropped away from the guild merchant man, Aldefera, and fell towards Starker Four. Guild Captain Telic watched on the viewer as the shuttle disappeared into the storm of clouds that completely hid the planet's surface. He ground his teeth with frustration. He was rid of the young Lar, true enough, but too late. So, pretty good, except for that first sentence. The shuttle dropped away from the guild merchantman Aldefera and fell towards Starker 4. I know, it's, it's nitpicky. But, imagine if the book started this way. Guild Captain Telic watched on the viewer as the shuttle disappeared into the storm of clouds that completely hid the planet's surface. He ground his teeth in frustration. He was rid of the young Lar. True enough, but too late. Yeah. All I did was cut out sentence number one. <laughs> uh, this book probably could have benefited from better editing. <laughs> Wait, what about the duty line? <laughs> right. Karn shook his head as if that would clear it of the grayness, the pressing stone, the lifeless air, the strangling fear. Duty had brought him back to duties he knew nothing about. (laughs) And to death. Duty and death. (laughs) A lot of duty going on. (laughs) Right, well, who do you think this book is for? I'm going to give you a hot take here. On this, who is this for? Yeah. If you liked the bean 
series of Orson Scott Card's Enderverse. The ones following Dean and after following Ender's older brother. This book is about the same level of smudged over political intrigue (laughs) and strange character development and sort of just hazy world building. I know that sounds like an insult to those (laughs) other books, but really, if you liked the Bean series, I think you would like Winter World. I can see that. What about you? Who do you think this book is for? Well, I think if you're trying to get someone interested in reading Dune, but you don't think they're quite ready to jump into the world of space (laughs) politics, you could start them out with this. Wow, I don't know if I would continue. (laughs) If someone was like, hey, remember that book Winter World that you read? Imagine that, but drier, both literally and figuratively, and three times as long... Well, I think that's it for Winter World. Stick with us after the music for our Christmas special. If you'd like to join us next month, we'll be reading Kill Ratio by Janet Morris and David Drake. You can contact us at dumpsterbookclub at gmail.com or join our group on Goodreads. holidays time for togetherness so what better way to celebrate than bringing two of our favorite characters together into the steel cage where they fight to the death (laughs) it's time for our christmas cage match (laughs) so how is this gonna work so i have a santa hat here and it's full of a selection of characters from all the books we've read this year. We're each going to pick a name from the hat, and then they fight. Then they enter the cage. <laughs> okay. Right. So it's Aramaspia. <laughs> oh, from Keswick. She's the princess. Oh. Oh, I got Lieutenant Tooley from the sign of the mute Medusa. <laughs> Okay, well, Aramaspia's special power of being nude all the time might come into play. Oh my god. Maybe she could seduce <laughs> Lieutenant Tooley like that other lady did in the Oh my god. Medusa. Oh my goodness. So, Lieutenant Tooley, highly trained in analytical skills, she knows karate might be a robot. Kind of a horn dog, though, as I remember. <laughs> Wasn't she the one that was a total prude? I feel like the nakedness would probably but she was throw a total, her off. She was a total prude, except she was so into that gorilla man. <laughs> and also she got seduced by that jellyfish lady. <laughs> oh my goodness. Lieutenant Tooley had a pretty good chance at this, but I think the, the one totally naked character <laughs> is probably... <laughs> The one to take her down. Yeah, Tuli, I think, had good chances with her combat skills, but up against just a naked woman? I don't know. (laughs) Alright, this round 
Goes to Aromaspia. <laughs> so Aromaspia goes back in the hat you do that? to fight again. I think that's the uh, Colosseum rules. All right. I have Jane from the Silver Metal Lover. <laughs> and I have Calabrini from the Not World. <laughs> He's from the Sign of the Mute Medusa. That's the one I meant to say. The Sign <laughs> of the Mute Medusa. So, Jane was the 16-year-old girl. Without any skills uh, of any kind. <laughs> Um, and Calabrini can travel through time at will. <laughs> um, that's pretty good power. But Jane has heart. That's right. Although I don't think that would help her against Calabrini. Yeah, but Calabrini can travel through time. Incredibly sexy. It's true. <laughs> Feels like this is more of a cage of love. <laughs> <laughs> cage of fighting. Uh, Calabrini probably wins this one. I feel one. like Calabrini wins. Back in the hat. So, I have Deirdre from the Not World. Was that the bad guy? No, she's the main lady. That was the good guy. Yeah, the she has a, yeah, she, her legs don't work. Oh, I got Zazamake <laughs> from Keserek. Well, Zazamake is a bumbling fool of a wizard, but I still feel like his army of skeletons could beat up this lady. Zazamake is the one that's so evil. He has that, like, signed evil movie poster, <laughs> and movies haven't even been invented yet. I think his only real weakness is magic reflection. I think his weakness is cleverness. <laughs> Which Deirdre has. She could possibly outwit him. And she beat Arachne, right? Yeah. In a similar kind of fashion. But I think the, the difference is, is the power of love does not work against Zazamank. Oh, right. Just the power of stupidity. I mean, in the cage, though, she could get up real close with her cane and just... <laughs> <laughs> We're giving this to Zazamank? I think so. All right. I got James Keith from the Cosmozoids. Oh man, what a powerhouse. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Cause I got Eric John Stark oh, no. from the Ginger Star. The two ultimate cool guys. The two most powerful men in the universe collide <laughs> in the cage. James Keith was our space army man. He knows karate. He knows the mysteries of the Orient. And he's clairvoyant. Eric John Stark is the ultimate cool guy, mercenary for hire, and beast mind. <laughs> Do you think he can use his beast mind to defeat James Keith's <laughs> clairvoyance? Mm, no, I think Eric John Stark is weak to clairvoyance based on the Ginger Star. How many times 
fut- the telling the future messed him up. Well, but didn't he, um, didn't he beat those guys? Because, oh, no, wait. Oh, yeah, that's he- mind reading. Oh, okay. But I think Providence truly wrecks Eric John Stark. <laughs> so, James Keith wins this one. I think it's close, though. It would have been a great battle. <laughs> I have Nictasia <laughs> from Silverglass. <laughs> Powerful mage, great uh, historian, all-around nerd. Tiny and frail, though. <laughs> and I got Air Maspie again. This mm, again, another Nictasia is another one that could be seduced <laughs> by a, a just nude woman. Nictasia was quite lusty in Silverglass. That's true. <laughs> I feel like she might, I think she might prevail in that. <laughs> she would beat herself <laughs> and then beat up this naked woman. Oh my goodness. This seems like it would be a pretty sexual battle. Like yeah. one of those like this would be a matches. mud. This would be a mud fight. <laughs> but. I think Nictasia would beat her lust though and i think she's got this one <laughs> but air Maspia made it a lot farther than i thought she would yeah <laughs> i have dr burr from oh. the cosmozoids <laughs> robot alien in human skin and an army of lookalike followers but probably the dumbest guy in the universe <laughs> well he's up against silver the silver metal lover himself <laughs> I don't know if Dr. Burr can beat anyone, though. I think Aramaspia would have defeated him. Uh, yes. Just, especially... Oh, he's also hurt by sound, and Silver's a musician. Oh, there you go. And probably his, like, um, his zombie serum probably doesn't work on robots. So, I think Silver... And he can't read his mind, probably. Yeah, I think Silver wins this one. He has Clear victory. Ooh, I have Urza Baba <laughs> from, from the bog. Is he in the child's body? Yes. <laughs> okay. So he's an ancient entity of mysterious power in the body of a child. Well, I have Dylan from the not world. <laughs> a, a beautiful man like a rumpled bear. I think Dylan's too much of a nice guy. I don't think he would punch a kid. Oh, you're right. You think that Urzababa could, could pull one over on I him? I think so. Too much of a gentleman. I think so. Because right. what would Deirdre think seeing him just <laughs> punching a child? All right. That's Captain Claudine from the Sign of the Mute Medusa. I think her... Her strengths would be her gun. <laughs> well, I have Kesrick from Kesrick. Oh. Known smooth talker and wielder of Dastergard, the magic sword. I don't think he could smooth talk Claudine. Though. No, she's way too clever. Claudine has already thought through all the scenarios. <laughs> Do you think uh, you think her gun beats Dastergard? Mm, I think also uh, 
Keserick is pretty close to invulnerable. Does Dastigurd reflect bullets is the question. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It's a close one. Yeah, Keserick could also seduce Claudine. She was pretty lusty. <laughs> and he's a mostly nude man with a mustache. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, this one's, I don't know. This one's tough, but I don't know. I feel like Kazrick's bringing a sword to a gunfight. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough. Alright, got Silver again. Well, I have James Keith again. <laughs> Strongest man alive. Clairvoyant space army man karate guy. I don't think this helps in a cage match, but Silver can run as fast as a car. <laughs> Um, and he is made of metal. Right. But, uh, ultimately he's a lover and not a fighter. True. And James Keith probably cannot be seduced by Silver. I think he's immune to seductions. From men? No, I think from women, too. There was the lady, but he was too pure. Oh, right, right, right. All right. I think he beat Silver in this one. <laughs> wow, how great would the worst character of the worst book we read just win in this round robin? I guess it makes more sense than not. I have Hargoth, the Corn King. <laughs> <laughs> from the Ginger Star. Oh, I have Arachne from the Not World. Oh, uh, corn magic versus witch magic. Wow, I mean... Hargoth does have powerful corn magic, <laughs> but uh, Arachne made a deal with the devil. Yeah, Arachne also has the power to exist in your past and seduce you as a child. <laughs> the ultimate power, really. And if you beat her, she just comes back. Right. So... I feel like the Corn King was the one to take her down, but she doesn't <laughs> have the ability. Spingarn from the oh, Probability God, I Man. Hope, I hope he is killed. <laughs> <laughs> I have Nictasia from Silverglass again, our mage. Um, does Spingarn even have any abilities? I guess he could tell the probability. He would probably bet and win, you know, on the tables afterwards. <laughs> But I don't think he's got anything to beat Nictasia with. No. Oh, our friend James Keith again. <laughs> oh, no. Who can take him down? Captain Claudine? I don't think so. <laughs> you don't think her gun beats his karate? Does. <laughs> but does gun beat uh, Mysteries of the Orient? That's true. Those might give him the edge he needs. Hmm. I kind of just want Keith to get shot. She's also basically clairvoyant. Because That's true. she can see all the possibilities. Yeah. So clairvoyance. So what does she have to beat Mysteries of the Orient? Mm. Her weird astrology stuff. Does she have weird astrology stuff? Yeah. That would do it. <laughs> okay, give it to Claudine. Oh, I got Corson. Mm, 
another powerhouse. From Silverglass, Web of Wind. I have Calabrini. Okay. Power to move through time at will. I feel like Corson is probably the best <laughs> fighter in this arena. Yeah, and Corson hates magic. Probably would see this time travel's magic and just beat it through ignorance. <laughs> Calabrini was a little bit delicate. True. I think. Just punch him at every time. <laughs> yeah. Give me this one to Corson. Mm hmm. Got Urza Baba again. And I have Liz Hassel from Prob Planet Probability. <laughs> uh, with the ability to do nothing but be annoying. Uh, she's got... Mm, Good director. <laughs> not incredibly dumb. But that's true. But that's about it. <laughs> In her own universe, she's a powerhouse, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't think she's got the skills to take down Urza Baba. <laughs> Nictasia from Silverglass. Zazamank. A sorcerer's battle. Sorcerer battle. So I feel like Nictasia can beat this wizard very easily. She could probably use the silver glass to reflect <laughs> his his magic. Yeah, and zombies aren't going to do anything against her. That's like a level one encounter. Mm -hmm. All right, I've got Claudine. I have Grenville. Ooh. The, another wizard of the bog. Does gun beat Grenville's magic? I don't think so. I think he can blow you up from a distance if he's awake. <laughs> they are in the cage. That's true. There's no distance. They <laughs> blow you up before you get in the cage. Um, I think, think fireball beats bullet, right? Probably. Grenville probably gets this one. <laughs> Corson again. David. <laughs> <laughs> and just to clarify, this is David from the bog, not David who's studying silt at the equator. <laughs> <laughs> um, destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> One punch knockout. Perfect. He's humiliated in front of his family. His knowledge of bog bodies does nothing. <laughs> I have Arachne from the Not World. And I have Nictasia. Oh, another sorcerer's battle. Who's mm. the more powerful sorcerer? I don't know if Arachne can be beaten, but Nictasia did beat that demon. Oh, yeah. She's good against devils. Super effective against devils. All right. Give us to Nictasia yeah. then. Renville from the bog. Corson. <laughs> well. Corson does hate magic. And she is super powerful against magicians. Yeah. Barbarians usually beat sleepy old wizards, I think. <laughs> Especially in close combat. Yeah. <laughs> so, Grenville's out. I got Eagle Olafsson from the Winter World. He's 
seven feet tall, built like a Zin bear, but has no hands. <laughs> <laughs> and I have Nictasia again. Probably the lack of hands is going to be... Mm, but he's just as good with nose and mouth. <laughs> that was meant to be a sex joke. <laughs> well, do you think he wins this one? <sighs> I don't know if Eagle has combat skills. I don't think he's going to seduce Nictasia. Not really her type. No. Nictasia. This is going to end with Nictasia versus Corson. It's going to be really sad. <laughs> Here we go. Leaf from Time Stop. Ooh. Another ultimate cool guy. And Super Spy. Well, do you think he could beat Urza Baba? <laughs> <laughs> um, he did defeat all those weirdly racist illusionists. Mm, I don't remember this book <laughs> at all. <laughs> But does Urza Baba have any combat magic, or does he just have illusions and sleep? Uh, mostly sleep. Mostly sleep. We don't see him do much. I think Leaf beats Illusionist. All right. Urza Baba's out. Corson from Silverglass Web of Wind. I have Karn Halarek <laughs> in the Winter World. Well, Karn is a child. Yes, but he isn't actually a woman, which Corson is. <laughs> <laughs> He's just very similar to a woman. Um, I don't think he's going to be able to negotiate his mm. way out of combat no, with Corson. Negotiating actually makes Corson more powerful. <laughs> I think she wins this one. <laughs> Alright, I've got Leaf from Time Stop. Corson. Okay, I think Corson wins yeah. this one as well. Well, Leaf is proven. Oh no, but he did take out that huge guy. Which huge With his guy? super spy skills. Remember, there's that guy that was gonna find the body and he uses all his sweet combat moves. No, I don't remember. <laughs> don't remember I don't time remember stop. Time just, Stop. Leaf is pretty combat effective. I don't think he's more than Corson, but I'm just saying it's not as easy. It wouldn't be like a one-hit kill. No. But... Corson would have to, you know... She might work up a sweat Leaf on this would one. give her a run for her money. But I think he's out. Fuck that guy. I have Corson from Silverglass. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, it seems like there's only one more in here. Nictasia from Silverglass. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this one's going to be a draw. I think Nictasia wins because she knows all of Corson's weaknesses. And would water, seduce her immediately. Yeah, water, dark spaces, being attractive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think Nictasia would win, but win softly. <laughs> wow. All right, so Nictasia, queen of the cage. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite a final showdown. Mm-hmm. 
Well, happy holidays. <laughs> Hope your own family cage match is just as exciting. 